Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Um, We are in John chapter 6. We finished up chapter 5 last week, and so we're going to, this morning, we're going to cover the first 15 verses of chapter 6. So, John uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 15. Of course, this is the the record of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Let me go ahead and read these verses together for us. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. When the great multitude, then a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes. And seeing the great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen the sign that Jesus did said, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, we pray that you'll just bless uh, the reading and the hearing of your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will uh, illumine our hearts and minds. Father, give us understanding. And Father, again, use your word um, to change us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So now we begin the sixth chapter of uh, this book, and Dr. Sproul mentions that this is one of the most important chapters in the entire book. Uh, it begins here with this miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, and just by way of mentioning this uh, piece of uh, information, this is the only miracle of Jesus that's included in all four Gospels. This is the only one uh, it's recorded for us in all four. Uh, many of the miracles that Jesus has been telling us about uh, happened in uh, Judea. But this one, he says, takes place in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. Uh, as you consider, uh, you remember John's, what's John's purpose, right? What is, what is, what is John's purpose in this gospel? He wants the, the, the reader and the hearer to understand who Jesus is, right? And why he came and that he's the Messiah. That is his point. It is not a... Um, a chronological account. He is choosing what he includes uh, to convince the reader of who Jesus really is. And so, as we consider the chap- uh, the settings of the last chapter in chapter 5, and now we consider the setting here in chapter 6, uh, what we can see is the result is the same. Jesus 
was rejected by not only the people in the south, the southern area, but he's also rejected by people in the northern regions of Israel. So um, that's uh, part of why John is including this. Uh, Obviously, it's a miraculous event, but uh, the point is that there wasn't just a certain group of people that didn't like Jesus. I mean, the whole region um, rejected him. So verse 1. Verse 1 tells us that after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee or beside the sea. Now, as far as a time frame, again, we just said John's not really, this is not a chronological account. It's very possible that a large amount of time has passed between chapters 5 and 6. If over in you remember when we studied chapter 5, uh, John tells us that it was a time of a feast, but he didn't tell us which one. Okay, you remember over there in 5. So if we would, let's, let's just say if the feast in uh, chapter 5 is the Feast of Tabernacles, then at least six months has passed because that feast would have been in October. Okay, this would have been in April in the springtime. If, if the feast in the chapter 5 is the Passover, then a year has now passed between these two chapters. So it just kind of helps us. We know this is in the spring. We're going to, we'll, we'll build that out in a minute while we know this in the spring, of course, with Passover, but uh, for some other reasons as well. <clears throat> so the lake, the lake that he's here, um, the lake has been known by several names. Um, the, it's, a, it's known over in Luke as the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, it's known in the Old Testament as a couple of different names as well. And the lake now had taken even another name in the early first century because Herod Antipas, he uh, dedicated a city on its shores and he dedicated it after the reigning emperor who was Tiberius Caesar. And so that's why John makes the reference here and he says, or the Sea of Tiberius. That's why he says that because of what was going on in uh, the Roman Empire at the time. So John sets the stage here for us uh, in verse 2. He says, Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now, again, if, if we're just looking at John's gospel, how many miracles of healing has John told us about? One. John's told us about one miracle of healing. Uh, you remember it was a nobleman's son. So what, what does John? But what does John say here? That great multitude followed him because they saw the signs he had performed on those who were diseased. So what can we reasonably deduce here? We can reasonably deduce that Jesus has performed many miracles of healing. Okay, and the time John's only told us about one, but we can reasonably deduce uh, through Scripture that Jesus has performed many other such miracles of healing. And what we can also deduce by what John's telling us, that the crowds were following him, not because they believed he was the Messiah, but out of curiosity, because they wanted to continue to see these miracles that he was performing. They wanted to be a part of, there was a commotion, there was a stir, and they wanted to see it, they wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so they're not really necessarily following him because they believe he's the Messiah. John also tells us here that the Passover is near. We have that in verse 4. Many times, uh, as we've, we've said, John does connect the events which he records in the book with the feasts. So he can set a timeline um, of the one that, that, that the feast that they would have been celebrating. So in, again, in this case, he mentions the Passover. 
was, was near, which is significant as we will see as we continue our study in this chapter. <clears throat> Verse 3, it says, And when Jesus went up on the mountain, and there... At, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. So from there, Jesus had a vantage, a, a viewpoint. He could see there was a very large group of people who were following Him. Now, we can presume that at this point, Jesus uh, started teaching them uh, for quite some time because we know here that they grew hungry. So they were there. They had been following Him. Now they're, He's on this mountain. He, mountain. He sat with His disciples. We presume He's teaching to the people. And uh, it's at this time, after this teaching has taken place, I mean, people are there. They've been listening. They're growing hungry. They've been there. They've been walking a good little ways. And so now everybody's hungry. And so the accounts of this miracle, all the ones that's recorded for us, tell us that there was nowhere to buy any food. So they're not near anywhere where they can go purchase food. And so seeing the crowd, Jesus asked Philip a question. And we see the question in verse 5. It says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, this is one of those times in Scripture where we see that Jesus was testing His disciples. He was testing them uh, to see if they were picking up what was going on here. Testing their, their faith. And it was a serious issue. This is a serious logistical issue that they're faced with, right? It's very, it, it, you can say it's kind of similar to the, the wedding at Cana, right? You remember we talked about that. That was the first one we recorded. Uh, it was a huge embarrassment for the, the master of the feast to run out of wine for this big event. And so it presented a, a really big issue. We know what, what Jesus did there. Well, here in verse 6, Jesus, of course, uh, John tells us that Jesus had a plan. And he's asking Philip this in order uh, to test him. So he, he, as a test, he asked Philip, okay, how are we going to feed these people? And this was here, and, and R.C. said it uh, sarcastically, and here is Philip's response of his faith. Verse 7, Philip answered, answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have a little. So, again, R.C. was being a little bit sarcastic. Here's his response of faith, right? Um, now, what, now, before we get into his response, a denarius, we know what that was, right? That was one day's wage, was a denarius, right? An average wage of a worker of this time. So what's Philip saying? Man, eight months of salary is not even enough to buy enough food for all these people uh, that are here. Uh, and, I think, and just remember, too, uh, Philip has been present. He's, he's been a disciple of Jesus for some time. And he's observed uh, these other miracles that Jesus has done. But when he's in this circumstance, looking at 5,000 men, he, he, he's, he, he really, I guess, he can't see past the circumstance. It's almost like he forgot who Jesus was and what Jesus has been doing and the amazing things that Jesus has already done. It's almost like he had a, a, a lapse in memory. Um, it's like Philip was saying, I don't even have any idea where to get that kind of money. We've got to go buy it. I don't have any idea. So what we can tell is that Philip flunked the test. He completely failed this test. 
So then another disciple comes into the picture, Andrew, Peter's brother. In verse 9, he says, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, if he'd have stopped there, he'd have been on the right track. He'd have been on to something, right? If he'd have stopped there. He didn't stop there, but 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 it could if, if he'd have stopped there, it'd have been like, Jesus, look what we found. Hey, we found some food. Look at this lad. He's got this food. Uh, Father, you, uh, Jesus, you can bless this. And you can make as much food as you want. And you can feed everyone. But sadly, that's not where he stopped. Philip didn't... Uh, excuse me. Um, not Philip. Uh, Andrew didn't stop there. What did he say in the in the, the second uh, part of verse 9? So I'll read the whole thing. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So really... If you consider both of these two disciples, uh, you know, his Andrew's faith is really no better than Philip's at this point. So John, and here is where John uh, provides some interesting details. He says that the boy had five barley loaves and two small fish. Well, why is that? In, why is that important? What's the significance of that detail? Well, some will say that there was a connection, uh, that there is a connection uh, to the miracle that Elisha performed in the Old Testament where he multiplied 20 barley loaves and he fed 100 men. Okay, and that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's recorded for us in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. Maybe John had this in mind, maybe he didn't, we're not really sure, but the one thing we can be sure of is that the bread that the boy had, because he mentioned the barley loaves, it was the lowest... Um, uh, quality that was possible. That's the one thing that we know about the barley loaves. It was the lowest quality bread possible. Only those who were in, who lived in poverty, ate this kind of bread. Okay, so only the ones in poverty ate bread that was made from barley. So he says, also on an important note, he says it was two small loaves. Probably the, these loaves of bread were probably about the size of a Twinkie. You think of about the size of a Twinkie, right? That's about the amount of bread that we're talking about. So it's, a, it's very small loaves. It's the cheapest, poorest quality bread that you can get. Um, the fish, the small fish that he had were more like little sardines. Okay, little size fish. That's the size, I mean. Um, and they were just used basically to give flavor to the bread because the bread had such a poor quality. The little the fish were along with it just to give it some flavor. So, so what what do we what are we taking from this? This is basically this boy has got enough for his own lunch. That's really all he has. Okay, it's a meager amount. He's he's he doesn't have a lot of money, so it's not a it's not a lavish thing here. This is not a some high quality kind of uh, meal. Verse 10, uh, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And then we hear another detail provided for us. Now, there was much grass in this place. Now, this lines up with the fact that John says this event happened near the time of the Passover, which occurs in the spring. Um, at that time of year, this location where they were, would, there would have been a lot of grass present Okay, in, in this area. Um, 
And if it had happened later in the year, it would not have been the case because what had happened, the location of this miracle, uh, where it happened when, uh, as, as summertime gets there, uh, the summer heat comes in this, in this region and it burns away most of the grass. So this lines up with these events. It tells us exactly where this thing was happening. So we're in spring. It's, it's, there's, Jesus is on a mountain. He's been teaching, right, for some time. The people are hungry. Uh, there's a lot of people there, and they're hungry. And so he asked them to sit down in a pleasant place where there's much grass. Kind of reminds you of Psalm 23, right? About the green pastures, right? Very comfortable imagery here. Um, and Jesus knew they'd be comfortable. Ask them to sit down. There's plenty of grass. I love sitting down in a pasture full of green grass. Okay, I do it regularly. My cows love it, right? They love a pasture full of green grass. It's just wonderful. It's relaxing. You ever go? Who goes barefooted in green grass regularly? If you're not doing that, you should. Okay, I'm just here to tell you. You need to do that on a regular basis when in the springtime or in the summertime when the grass is green and it is soft. You need to go barefooted. I'm telling you, it is a wonderful feeling. It feels so good. It kind of, I'm, I'm no joke. I mean, like, really, like, it really does feel good, okay, for those of you who don't do that. Uh, so here we, we just have this wonderful setting, and, and so Jesus has invited them here, they're there, and he has the people to sit down. Now, in verse, latter part of verse 10, it says, So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, notice what he says here. He does not say there are 5,000 people. He said there are 5,000 men. So we can safely assume that there are women and children present. And so when you add uh, all those numbers in, we're talking 15,000, 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. Okay, that is a lot of people. Uh, And the fact that this group was so large, uh, it really makes the significance of this miracle even more amazing. Really? Because again, it's not a, it's a very large crowd, 20,000 people. Um, I was thinking about, uh, as we were, this lesson, you know, the field next door here, Hayward's Field. Um, I wonder, 20,000 people would fill up that field. You can just think, that's, that's a, I mean, if you're all sitting side by side, that's a lot. Just think about it. That's a lot of people in a large area, right? So, 20,000 people, 15 to 20,000, easy, maybe more. It may have even been more than that, right? They could have had large families. It could have been more than that. So John continues here in verse 11. It says, And Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. One thing to note, just before we we move on, Jesus took the food. What did He do before He distributed? He stopped. He did what? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. Thanks to the Father in heaven, right? Why do we ask a blessing every time before we eat a meal? Right? 
we we as Americans are um, spoiled in many ways with uh, amazing amounts of food, right? Just everywhere, uh, and we take food for granted, don't we? We all do. We take food for granted. Um, and my family is no exception. There are many times in the busyness of a day, especially if we're eating lunch or something, and, and you have you know different people eating. Sometimes we'll find ourselves sitting down at the table, and we're like, hey, do we ask the blessing? No, stop. <laughs> stop what we're doing. Ask the blessing, right? Ask the blessing and, 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 and thank the Lord above for providing, you know, what is there. And so that we see Jesus doing that here. He, he stopped before he distributed and he gave thanks for the food. <clears throat> now, when we talk about what Jesus did with five loaves and two fish, he didn't make enough just to give every person a portion. He made enough so that they had as much as they wanted. It was like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? You can go back and get as much as you want. Okay, it wasn't just one serving. Okay, here's your one serving. You order a serving, here's... No, it was get as much as you want. That's what it was. Right? It was as much as they wanted. And it says afterwards, there were how many? Twelve basketfuls left over. Now, there are some people who look at numbers in the Bible and they try to make connections and, and... they look at the Bible as a code book, you know, in order to decipher it. Um, we don't teach that. We don't think that's accurate in a way of looking at the Bible. Uh, there are some people who will look at this and say, hey, the number 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and it, uh, you know, oh, does, is there a direct connection? We don't know, right? It, it's, it's no use in trying to, to, to figure that out. But what we know here is that God completely met their needs. Is what we see here in this thing, right? Uh, there may be some symbolism with 12 tribes of Israel, 12 basketfuls. We don't know. Maybe not. But again, what we can absolutely be sure of is that this is an example of the providence of God at work. Right? It's His, God's providence. God always provides for the needs of His people. Uh, this incident, this this miracle that's happening is very similar to Israel's uh, wilderness experience in the Old Testament, right? What did God do? How did He provide? He provided bread from heaven, literally, in the form of manna. Um, one beautiful thing about um, the structure and the way John has set up this gospel, and we'll see it in the coming chapters, is that this miracle, that's why R.C. kind of said this is a very, very, it's one of the most important chapters in the whole book. This miracle helps, sets the stage for John, Jesus' teaching later about His being, what? The bread of life and the bread of heaven. This is a, this is a literal uh, illustration, isn't it? I mean, it's... Literally taking bread, multiplying it, and providing it to the people. So this miracle is helping set the stage for that. And again, John will continue to build that out as he as we work through uh, this book. What John does make it clear is that this is this is a miracle, and this is a miracle from God in heaven. Um, there are many uh, who doubt this miracle, and they try to offer some natural explanation for what was really going on here. Um, R.C. said uh, of his own pastor as he was growing up, as a, as a young person, he said his own pastor, when he taught or preached on this scripture, after he read it, 
He and I read this is straight from R.C.'s mouth. He says, "Then my, my this, this is the minister. This is the pastor." He says, "Well, now let me tell you what really happened, or how this really happened." That pastor's understanding or interpretation of the miracle says, "This was what was recorded. What John recorded for us is not exactly the way it happened. What what happened is he used the the, the fragments of food as an illustration because he says the the people there's." 20,000 people here. They all had brought some food. And what, by showing that I can, we can share this food, that he encouraged all the other people to share theirs. And so that the food was shared among the 5,000 people. And so it was, it was not really a, a miracle, a supernatural miracle from heaven. It was more of an ethical illustration. Like, you should share food with others. And that's what this man said out of the pulpit. You know, if if he can look at this and come to that conclusion, I mean, what good is the Bible? What, I mean, to that guy. Why, why do you even read that? If, if you're going to look at supernatural miracles and then try to come up with some alternate uh, explanation other than what's given for us. I mean, what else do you want to explain away that really didn't happen? So, sad situation. There are people out there who go to those links. There's another. Um, there's a, there was another group of people who said, "Well, here again, this is this really didn't happen the way John says it or the way it's recorded." Of course, all the other gospel writers record it too. They say that Jesus and his disciples had a plan beforehand, and what they knew this was going to happen, and this was kind of more of a gimmick. It was more of a magic trick. So they had they knew that all these people they were going to bring out, and so they found a cave in the mountain. And hid beforehand, okay, before all this happened, they hid enough food to feed everybody. And so Jesus is standing there, and he's at the mouth of this cave, and the disciples just keep handing him out food, and he just keeps passing it. You know, handing him out from what they had stashed away, and just keeps passing it. There are people who believe that. Man, that, where is their faith, right? Where is their faith in who Jesus is? They don't have. I don't know where their faith is. They. I don't know where um, people come up with that. Well, indeed, it was a miracle. It was a supernatural act where the Son of God took the elements that He had, and He supernaturally blessed it and increased it, and He fed everybody, much that they could even uh, as much as they wanted. So what was the people's reaction? What was the people's reaction to what Jesus just did? Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly, or this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, so far, so good. Right? So far, so good. This was the prophet that Moses himself foretold. But then, right, we got a problem. Verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountain by himself alone. The people observed a miracle. This is the prophet. We're going to make him king. By force. They're going to take him by force and they're going to make him king. 
So the people obviously saw something in this event that made them want to crown him on the spot. This is it. He's the one we're going to take and we're going to make him. We're not going to ask him, we're going to take him by force and make him uh, the king. However, Jesus would not have any of that. He would have uh, no part in that. Remember back, it's recorded for us in Matthew 4, when after Jesus' baptism, He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. Remember? To be tested in the wilderness. And Satan himself came to test Jesus, right? With three tests. What was the, what was the one that's recorded that's most like this one? What did, what did Satan promise Jesus? What did he, he'd take him up on a high point, right? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. What did Satan say? I'll make you ruler over all. I'll give them all to you. I will make you ruler of all those kingdoms if you just bow down and worship me. Well, Jesus passed the test then because he would have no part of that. He absolutely refused that. Why, why did he refuse? He refused that. He's refusing this here. Why did he refuse now? Is he not the anointed king of kings? Is he not the king of the Jews? He's the king of all, right? He's the king of the universe. Well, there's another reason too that John mentioned this event happened near the Passover. So remember, y'all know this, the nation of Israel is under Roman occupation. And the Passover is not just any feast. It's not just another feast. Okay, It was the supreme celebration of national pride. It's like our 4th of July on steroids. Okay? Really. Okay, it's like our, you think we're patriotic, okay, around the 4th of July. Um, this, that's what, this was, this was on steroids. This was that multiplied by 10. And so you have that happening. You have the, the people who were, who were gathered in that intent. They're there to celebrate the Passover. And it's just a, a huge time of national pride. And so while this is going on, uh, the people, their, their hope for someone to deliver them from uh, the Romans was ramped up during this time. So here, it's the perfect... Uh, hey, now, look. Look at what he just did. He's the perfect one to do it. You know how you get a mob mentality, right? You get people all together and they're, they're just all inspired over one thing and they do some crazy stuff sometimes. So here, you know, right now, these people have just gathered together. They're filled with this sense of national pride. They see what Jesus does. We've got to make Him king. He's it. The people would have agreed to themselves, this, 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 guy, this is the kind of king we want. We want someone who's going to take care of us from the cradle to the grave. Who's going to meet all our needs. It's going to take care of us. But Jesus knows their hearts. Um, and Jesus knew what kind of king they wanted. Right? The people are, why are the people following him? Why, why did it say? Out of, is it out of faith? No. They're just there, as it were, to watch a show. They wanted to see, okay, what's the next trick he's going to do? I want to see that. Right? It's like walking around the circus. Let me go see the best circus act. Let me see what this person can do. I want to watch that. That's, it's more of like a show to them. right? It's not, they're not there because they believed he was the Messiah and the king that God had sent back. And so they're looking 
for man uh, to bring in uh, their kingdom, their ideas. They had their ideas of who uh, the king would want to be. And the sad thing is, because Jesus knew their heart, it had nothing, to, what they wanted, had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Not one thing. Jesus was there. Uh, they were looking for the kingdom of man. The, a kingdom that glorifies man. That's what they wanted. And of course, Jesus has come in to bring the kingdom of God. His real mission, um, even you know, in considering this miracle, his real mission is ultimately to bring them much, much more than just bread and fish, right? He has got a plan. He is here for a reason, and it's got a whole lot more to do um, with just food. And so as we noted at the beginning of this, this event is central to what happens next in this account of uh, in, in chapter 6. But as we before we get into those in the weeks following, what we can do when we look at this, we celebrate the providence of God. We celebrate His graciousness. His, His, uh, Christ is the bread of heaven, right? He is our King who gives us everything we need. But then what? Does He give us just enough? He gives us way more than we can ever think or even imagine. He lavishes His grace upon His people. He is not, um, a God of meagerness. He's a God of graciousness. He's a God of abundance. He just pours out blessing upon blessing upon His people. And when we look at this miracle, that's our takeaway, right? That's our takeaway of encouragement. Look at what He did. It's just absolutely amazing. Just the abundance of the graciousness of our God in heaven. I'll I'll conclude with a couple of statements from Calvin about this miracle. He says this, Let us now sum up the meaning of this whole miracle. It has this in common with the other miracles that Christ displayed in it His divine power. But it also has confirmation to us of the statement by which He exhorts us to seek the kingdom of God, promising what? That all other things shall be added to us. For if He took care of those who were led to Him only by sudden impulse, how would He desert us? If we seek Him with a firm and steady purpose. True and indeed, He will sometimes allow His own people, as I have said, to suffer hunger. But He will never deprive them of His aid. And in the meantime, He has very good reasons for not assisting us until matters come to an extremity. Wonderful reminder from Calvin about how God deals with His people and the graciousness and the way he is, God's always on time. His, his deliverance, his, his, the gifts He gives us are always right on time, exactly when we need them. Any questions or comments before we close today? We have just a few minutes. Okay, we'll finish early, a few minutes early today. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for our time together. Father, again, thank You for Your Word as it is uh, living and breathing and active. And Father, as we contemplate or as we think uh, about the things that we find, Father, again, we ask that You change us uh, by Your Word, Father, uh, for the sake of Your kingdom, that we may uh, serve You in this world and become more like You. And Father, as we end uh, this time together this morning, Father, we lift up um, our worship time. Father, we pray that our worship time this morning will be acceptable before You. We pray that... Whatever may be hindering our worship, Father, uh, whatever distractions of the world, 
Father, we ask that you remove those and so that we focus upon you and your worship. Father, it's not about us today, it's about you. And we pray for our pastor, Father, as he brings uh, the word. Father, continue to use him as you have done now for some time. Continue to use him to bring your truth here and weigh with power and meaning and compassion. Father, thank you for him and the ministry that you are using here at this church. We ask that you continue to bless it for your sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.